Solomon prayed when they dedicated the temple that when a foreigner hears of your great name and they come here, because they will hear of it, bless them. Let them see that you are the one true living God. So the foreigners are included here. The fatherless, the widows who live in our towns. That's basically everybody. So the festivals were designed to cause celebration. They're, they're there so that people would laugh. That's what they were there for. So you've heard me use the example that in the New Testament, we're the spiritual temple. How do we know what a, a temple is supposed to do? Well, it is God's dwelling place. So I've asked the question many times, do we look at a Hindu temple or a Buddhist temple? I've been to many of them. No. Oh, no, 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 no. We go back into the Old Testament and we look at the Jewish temple. And here's one of the clues right here. When you get together, celebrate. Laugh. The rabbis tell us that uh, in the Festival of Booths, eight days, that the, the praising and this never stopped. They danced 24 hours a day. They laugh their heads off. That's the time we get together and we express joy. We express it. So when the world looks at us, do they see us dancing and laughing? I'll tell you this one church that I declined. Absolutely not. They called me to tell me that I wasn't selected. And I said, that's good because I didn't choose you either. (laughs) Right? But when they look at us, Do they see us laughing and dancing and joyful? Or do they see us frightened and nervous and afraid? What do they see? Okay, Deuteronomy 16. Then when you go over to Psalm 16, David had already figured out, and you know the answer to this, where joy comes from. Verse 11. You, he's talking about God, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Where does joy come from? The Lord. We looked at that last week with peace. Fruit of the Spirit. Not fruits of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. One fruit comprised of a lot of different pieces. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Okay, what's next? Goodness. Then what? Faithfulness. You should just come up here. You're the only one in the congregation that knows this, apparently. In the first service, I had like 20 people yell it out. I like that. Okay? It's a package deal. We'll come back to that. So it's in the presence of the Lord. He's the one that gives joy. When you move over to Psalm 96, we learn something else. Very fascinating about joy and what God intended for us. And not only us, for all of creation. Psalm 96, verse 11. Let the heavens rejoice. That's where the Lord's domain is, heaven. And all the creatures that are with him. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Isn't that a great metaphor? In the various places in the Psalms, the trees are they're, they're waving their branches, they're clapping their hands, Right? This is the great picture. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. Let all of creation rejoice. We were made to express joy. We were made to express that. When you get to the New Testament, now I want you to think about this with Mary. All the way back to Eve, Eve had been told that um, her seed 
was going to crush the head of the serpent, the monster who led them into the fall, tempted them. So that's a, that's a fatal blow. So that began a quest for the sun throughout Israel. In all the other nations, women were valued much less than men, but not in Israel. Because it was going to be through a woman that the Messiah was going to come. So can you imagine for hundreds, thousands of years, every woman, she gets pregnant, is this the Messiah? Is this the Messiah? Is this the one? Is this the one? The quest for the child, is this the one? And then Mary's just going about her business and an angel appears and said, you are the one. I can't even imagine what that would be like to wait all those centuries, perhaps millenniums, I don't know, and to be told, you're the one. No wonder she starts her song with this. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. When we go over into Luke chapter 2, again, you know the story. The angels, you have these shepherds, they're out there. I'm sure they knew that the Messiah was coming someday. They're out in this field, no lights, just stars, sitting there. Who knows what they were doing, talking, sitting around the fire, just watching the flocks at night. Of all the people to appear to, shepherds, they were kind of the low on the strata of social significance. They smelled. They were with sheep all day long. And they typically wandered for long periods of time without seeing other humans. And God chose them to appear. So in Luke chapter 2, verse, I'm going to start in verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to these shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. So one moment they're sitting there with only stars. Next thing, there's a whole sky full of angels singing. Wow, that would be awesome. And here's what they said. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause you great joy for all the people going to bring you great joy. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. No more waiting. He came. He came. No wonder Paul could say in Philippians 4, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Or in the Thessalonian epistles, in everything Give thanks to you. Give thanks for this is God's will for you. So that raises several questions about joy. How can we as a church express and develop and cultivate joy when our very symbol is a symbol of shame, the cross, suffering, pain? Those kind of seem antithetical, don't they? They kind of seem in opposition to each other. That our very cross doesn't, the cross itself, our very symbol, doesn't represent joy to most people. It's an excruciating, brutal way to die, and yet we're told to be joyful. How in the world do we rejoice all the time? How do we thank God in every circumstance? How do we do that? Well, part of the answer to that question is understanding actually what joy is. You see, joy... Um, is not the same as fun. Fun is a product of a roller coaster ride, an experience. 
Joy is an emotion deeply embedded here that is based on your perception of reality. It's based on your perception of reality. It does overlap with happiness. Rob made a distinction. Happiness is the word, when you translate happiness in the Bible, that's the word blessed. You are blessed. But joy is something deep inside. Okay? It's an internal disposition to what's going on in the world around you. But it's based on perception. Okay? It's based on perception. If you, if the Lord came up to you one day and says, this afternoon you're going to be in a car accident. I've made that decision. And you're going to be in a coma. And let me tell you why. Because that person you've been praying for, your friend, your spouse, your neighbor, your coworker, uh, they're ready to come to know you, come to know me, so I'm going to use you to make that happen. We'd have a very different perspective than if all of a sudden we just had a car accident, wouldn't we? Do you realize that you are an instrument in the hands of the Lord? You were given your freedom from sin, And Paul says in Romans 6, you became a slave to righteousness, to Jesus Christ. You're now his. And he can use you any way he chooses. That's his choice. So four years ago, whatever it was, when I was diagnosed with bladder cancer, I didn't know I had bladder cancer. I had no indication whatsoever. They were doing something else, doing another test and found it by accident. (laughs) They found the cancer. So that night, I couldn't hardly sleep. I was awake all night sitting in the den, wrestling this through, thinking my theology through. And here's the summary of my wrestling. Okay, Lord, when you asked Peter, at the end of John, Peter, do you love me? He said, "Uh, yes. He said, then take care of my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, then take care of my sheep. Third time, Peter, do you love me? That's when Peter stops and he says, you know all things, Lord. You know that I love you. So I sat there that night and I said, you know all things, Lord. You already know that I love you. So you're not doing this for your benefit and you're not doing it for my benefit because you already know. Therefore, what are you doing with my church? I crossed that theological line where I realized that I was now an instrument in his hands for your benefit. What are you doing with my church? And you would have seen in the eyes the questioning, the wonder, a little bit of fear being replaced with a twinkle. Mm. God is doing something big. And it's not for my benefit. I think he's testing me every which way you could be tested. And as Peter said, you know all things, Lord. You know that I love you. See how the perception shifted by thinking about it? So it was no longer about cancer is now about you. And that's when the mystery and the intrigue, the intrigue begins. So I never will forget standing up here, the staff said I need to do it, and told the church that I have bladder cancer. And the ones that love me went, ah! And the ones that didn't started clapping. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there was a big silence and a big pause. And uh, I, was, uh, I asked the uh, oncologist, what does this mean? He said, all of our priorities just shifted. You get the next open slot in uh, surgery. So that was about two weeks later. So I stood up here on the last Sunday before my surgery and I said, I'm going into a surgery this week and here's what I've experienced for the last two weeks. Some of you have told me that um, I need to have stronger faith. 
Thank you for your concern. I always want to strengthen my faith. I've spent 43 years working on strengthening this faith. Thank you for your concern. Some of you have said I need to eat more natural foods. Uh, Probably so. I could always use a better diet. And I'm really grateful for a wife that pays attention to that because in my mind, chocolate's one of the five food groups. You know, Jude has to keep the the cupboard over here, the snack cupboard stocked. Nancy says, "I, I snack like a toddler. And I'm always wanting something to eat. I'm hungry all day long. So I could always eat healthier. Thank you for that. Some people talk to me about juicing. Some people talk to me about um, acupuncture, all kinds of things that I got. And I said, here's what I learned in the last two weeks. We are not very comfortable talking about uncomfortable things like death. That's what I learned. We don't know how to do it. We don't have very good language. It's hard up here to wrestle our minds around it. Oh, I lost a wife. I have some experience with this. So I stood up here and I said, thank you for all of your concern, but I'm letting you know that I'm going to trust the surgeon and do everything else you suggested. And I fully expect to come back next week. Now, if you'd been closer, you would have seen a twinkle. I fully expect to come back next week with a good report. But if I come back and I'm on the edge of death, praise the Lord. I'm ready. Whenever he wants, I don't think that's the case, but whenever he wants to take me, I'm ready. You see, joy is, is exposed and cultivated through two ways. It's, ex, it's developed and exposed when things go well. We joy because of our circumstances and blessings don't we? They cause us to to joy. That may not be the right kind of joy. Because if it's true joy, it's also going to be there in spite of our circumstances. Because you realize that you are an instrument in the hands of the Lord. Oh, it's easy to smile and be happy when things are going well. Stock market's growing, house value's climbing, getting an increase at work, child's born healthy. It's always, that's easy to be happy. It's easy to do there. But what happens if your child isn't like that? What do you do then? So joy is a product of heart. It's an inner disposition. It's an emotion that comes from having a proper perspective. Proper perspective of what is really going on in the world, in God's eyes. That's really what it is. And so the deeper your theology and the more authentic your theology, the more joy you will experience. And if you're struggling with joy, like I said last week, you're just a little bit too far away from the Lord. The answer is to move closer to the Lord. You know, it's interesting to me that when I travel to third world countries, many times I've been asked uh, why, and this is a stereotype, but that's okay because it's partly true. You know, why do Americans always want us to be happy and smile and all that? Can't we be just sad that we're starving and our people are dying of AIDS and all that? You know, and it's like, no, you can't. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you. It's okay to experience sorrow, which the Bible talks a lot about. Sorrow has to do with empathy. I've said many times that the only reason you should ever say I'm sorry is only two reasons. One is because you genuinely did something wrong and you're apologizing for it. 
But the other one is because of empathy. I am sorry that you're going through this. That's called empathy. Those are the two reasons we use those words, I'm sorry. Otherwise, they become meaningless. Okay? And so when we experience sorrow, yeah, but sorrow and joy fit together. Sorrow is designed to help us empathetically understand a situation so then we can turn right around and encourage someone and help them. How many times have we said we are blessed so that we can be a blessing to others? Right? That's why we're blessed. Most of you know my first wife died. I had the privilege of watching her in the hospital. It didn't feel like a privilege at the time, but many over the years it has become that. My perception has shifted. And uh, we had no intention. We only had one child. We had no intention of having another one um, because she was already term- she was terminal and she was already looking at death, facing death head on. She was already there. And guess what? She got pregnant. We didn't plan on it. We took every precaution that we could so she wouldn't. Asked me privately sometime what that looks like, and she got pregnant. Stunning to us. Three forms of birth control, and she got pregnant. That's the Lord, by the way, in case you're wondering. I told all my kids, and I'm telling you, don't mess around with the Lord. He knows what he's doing. The doctor, her doctor tried every day. I think almost every day to get her to abort. He pleaded with her. He begged with her. You're going to die. And with a twinkle in her eye that I saw over and over and over again, she said, yeah, so are you. (laughs) I'm not going to abort this baby. If God wants me to have a baby, then we're going to have a baby. And by the way, do you know Jesus yet? Have you met Jesus? She asked him that every day. I got to watch this exchange. You're going to die, do you know Jesus? You're going to die, do you know Jesus? You're going to die, do you know? Over and over and over again for the whole pregnancy. And sure enough, by God's grace, I had a daughter, very healthy, and said goodbye to a wife. That was hard. Okay, now fast forward 30 years. You see, her perception was, of reality was accurate. Her theology was very authentic and sound. This is the Lord's decision, not mine. And I am fully convinced that the Lord is going to use this in my doctor's life. So fast forward 30 years. I'm back down at the hospital now for some other reason. I haven't been back. I look up. He's now the chairman of his department. So I walk up on the floor. Some of you have heard this and said, is Dr. So-and-so in? And the lady, she was kind of an older lady, ran in the front desk. She said, uh, that's important, by the way. Uh, She said, no, he's slammed today. Do you have an appointment? I said, no, no, that's okay. She said, are you a friend of his? I said, no. She goes, wait a minute. You don't have an appointment. You're not a friend. What are you doing here? (laughs) Great question. And I said, well, 30-something years ago, he was my doctor's attending physician when my daughter was born, and my wife had cystic fibrosis, and uh, he was the one that took care of her. And this lady said, Judy Howard. And I started to cry. How do you know that? And she said, that was my first patient with him. I've been with him ever since. Don't you go anywhere, Mr. Howard. He's going to want to see you. So a few minutes later, he comes walking out. Got his cane. And he just looks at me, and there's a twinkle. Mr. Howard, how's your daughter? And I said, she's very healthy. Got four grandkids through her. She's my favorite. (laughs) 
And uh, he just, then he said, I came to faith because of your wife. You don't often get to hear that. See, her perception of reality was grounded in an authentic theology. Did she want to die? Nope. Of course not. But she recognized, I am an instrument in the hands of the Lord. I will see my children again. I look forward to that. Told Nancy my biggest fear is that she dies first because then she and Judy are going to talk about me before I can get there. <laughs> Joy. Joy, there's that twinkle. You see, you can, you can experience joy because of your circumstances. And if your perception of reality, your theology is authentic, then it is authentic joy. It's not only happiness. But you can also experience joy in spite of your circumstances because you know who the Lord is. And you know he's doing it for a reason. Because he is a very good God. You may not always understand the reason. All right? That was a real blessing to get to hear from a doctor 30 years later. Most of us don't get that. And I got to hear that. So what is joy? It's a genuine emotion tied deeply to our perception of reality. And if you're struggling with joy, that means you're just a little bit too far away from the Lord. It's not very far. It doesn't take much to begin to move back and you start to experience it. I went and saw uh, Dorothy Wilhite. How many of you remember Merle and Dorothy? Okay, most of you. Uh, Merle went to be with the Lord uh, six, six and a half years ago. And uh, Dorothy's in the hospital. She had COVID. Uh, she's... 90-ish, she's one of those people that is, you know, on the very high-risk list. But she's already fought it off, and now she has pneumonia. So she's in uh, um, ICU on a COVID floor in respiratory isolation. So I went to the hospital to see her, and I said, I came here to see uh, Dorothy Wilhite. She's in the hospital. You can't see her. No visitors are allowed. And I said, well, actually, I can. If you go read the state health order, I'm a pastor. I'm exempt. Well, that got them all flustered and what do we do now? And pretty soon it gets passed up the line. And I'm just standing there quietly waiting. It took about 30 minutes. They finally came back and said, you're right. You're right. I said, you can't keep me from somebody who wants prayer. They said, uh, come with us. We'll escort you and you have to do everything we told you. So I had to go and sanitize, wash my hands and sanitize and put a gown on and a face shield and gloves and all kinds of things like that. And they stood there and watched to make sure I did it properly. And I want to do it properly. I don't want to hurt Dorothy. So I walked in and Dorothy said, she looked at me. I said, hey, Dorothy, it's Jim Howard. She goes, I know who you are. <laughs> so I didn't know if you could see me behind the mask and the face shield. And uh, she, was, she was tired, discouraged, down, all by herself. No visitors. No visitors allowed. It's one, of the, it's one of the excruciatingly inappropriate, and I'm going to say that clearly, inappropriate things about the way we're handling this with our older people. I don't mind saying it publicly. The only thing more tragic than all the deaths is the death alone. And there she was. And I got to go in and see her. She goes, what are you doing here? I said, I came to hang out with you. James 5, lay my hands on you. So I put my arm around her and gave her a hug and prayed with her. We talked for 30 minutes. 
And by the end of the 30 minutes, she was perky. That perkiness that I've seen all along, sitting up. Okay. I learned a lot about the medical community that I hadn't thought about before because when I came out, then I had to uh, degarb or whatever you take it, take everything off, take everything, clean my hands with them watching the sink, sanitize, do it all over again in reverse. So I asked the nurse, do you have to do this every time you go in this room? She goes, yeah. How do you get around to see all these patients? Well, they're no wonder they only get to see the nurse a couple times a, a day, two or three times a day. They have to go through that all the And that may be the right thing. I'm not judging that. I'm not a doctor. I'm just saying, okay, I had a lot more empathy for nurses than I did before because now I saw it firsthand and experienced it. But I'm sitting with Dorothy. So I looked in her eyes. She's, she's sick, tired. She's fighting it off, by the way. She's winning. Keep praying for her. I told her that I'm coming with a hello from 100 people. And she said, well, tell all those 100 people hello back. And... Um, She's fighting off pneumonia. She is. She's a tough woman, and uh, which is one of the things I love about her. I said, you're a tough woman. She goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like that. And I said, I didn't know that you could be, get more beautiful. She goes, oh, hey, what are you talking about? The, my hair is a mess. And if you knew her, you know she's always dressed very properly. And I said, Dorothy, don't disappoint me. You know your Bible. What does the Bible say about beauty? And she goes, I know. It's the inner person of the heart. And that's what I've worked on for 90 years. And I said, yeah, you've done a good job. Look in my eyes. Let me just look in your eyes and connect. And it's got gorgeous eyes, as you all do. And by the time I left, she's just, you know, she's perky again, patting me on the arm, trash talking with me, my love language. See, what you know about, here's what you know about joy. Joy comes because we have a perspective of truth a realistic perspective of reality, which Christianity brings. But that comes from two sources, that perspective. We draw closer to the Lord and our theology deepens and we spend time with each other. I've said all along, the answer to sin is you. When I'm with you, I don't want to sin. I get excited when I see you. No matter where it is, I get excited. And my spirit perks up. That is where joy comes from. And Right now, they're making it awful difficult for us to be together. Soon, I understand, or hopefully, that they're going to lift some of, the, uh, some of the restrictions. Not everybody can come back to church. I get it. We don't want them all to. We don't want to all get sick. We have people that are vulnerable. Some are sick, all of that. But as they loosen the restrictions, and this is especially true for those of you online that are watching, find some way to connect with a human. Okay? If nothing else... It's way too easy to get up in your pajamas and watch TV, watch live streaming on your television, your computer, your device. That's way too easy. That is not enough. I'm telling you the truth. Technology is not enough. What would happen if you called some of your good friends, maybe another couple, and say, would you come over and let's watch it together? Get up and watch it together. Because when you're with another person... Follow the protocols. I'm not trying to talk you into rebelling or anything like that. Follow the protocols. But when you're with somebody else, joy is the result. Because your perspective begins to move back toward reality. Because when you're by yourself, you begin to struggle with everything from depression, discouragement, fear, because you watch the news. Don't listen to the news. I'm going to say it a thousand times before we're done. Don't watch the news. They're trying to make money, so they're trying to scare you. Just don't watch them. Unless you can laugh at them. Use it as a source of entertainment. 
Okay, but when you're alone, all of those things that we don't like begin to creep in. Find a way to connect. Find a way to connect with people. You know, um, I mentioned earlier, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, it's a complete package. It's fruit, singular. One fruit comprised of many dynamics. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness. You know, the, you know those. They all fit together. You lose one, you lose them all. And they're all dealing with the way we perceive the world around us. People ask me all the time, why do you follow Christianity so seriously? Because it's the only religion that explains the world. It's, it's, it's rooted and grounded in creation. And therefore it makes sense to us. And so you can't be loving and patient and enjoying peace um, if there's no joy. It all fits together. And it all says the same thing. That if you're struggling with these, that means you've moved just a little bit too far away from the Lord. That's what it means. You're not very far away. As you move back to the Lord and back toward community, then you begin to experience the very things that you're after. You can't fabricate it. It doesn't come from a good book. Except the Bible. It doesn't come from a good movie. It comes because your perception of reality is accurate. And that's based on a deepening faith in the Lord and healthy friendships and relationships. The sooner we get this virus dealt with, I've said it last week, and I'll keep saying it, getting tested every week, get tested. Okay, protect us and let us protect you. When the vaccine comes, get it. Get it. If we could knock this thing out, that would be a grand slam. That would be a miracle of the Lord to have a vaccine developed in six months and overcome it. That is a feat in science never before done. Not at this speed. So I'm going to be the first in line as soon as they give me my whatever I can, whenever I can get it, to do it. Joy doesn't come. Don't place your hope. Don't embed your faith. Don't base your faith on it. Don't look for joy because of a vaccine. Do it because of the Lord and because of relationships. So if you're lacking in joy and you're feeling some of that fear and that distraction and everything, that just means you're a little too far away from the Lord. Pick up one of our devotion booklets out there. If you're online, go order one online for Advent and read them together every week as a couple. If you're single, let me know. I'm allowed to visit as a pastor. I'll come read it with you. I'll come bring you communion. I'll do all that, okay, to help our church. Because if the, if the world out there, which doesn't really understand joy, if they can look in all of our eyes and see that twinkling, they know we have something they don't have. They do. Father, thank you. Thank you for creating us for joy. And then when we threw it away, thank you for chasing us down and giving it back to us. Thank you for teaching us how loving and good you are. Thank you for restoring the joy that we discarded. We sure love you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Before we say goodbye to those online, let me just say a word. Um, I made the comment about our finances. Thank you for all of you that have gotten back to me. Some of you have laughed and joked. I find joy in being part of a group where I can just tell you the truth. You guys know what to do. You're all so very good. And all of you online, thank you so much for joining us. This does conclude uh, the online portion of our service.